Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood, hosted by infertility sleuth Millie Brooks. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to my yip yapper. This is episode 61, and we are going to chit-chat with my girl Jamie Selwa, all about trying to find humor throughout the chaos of fertility treatments. I first discovered Jamie's impeccable humor on her Instagram page, at Infertile Chronicles, and the way she describes her journey is so honest and truthful and hilarious that I had to have her on the show to talk about why humor is an important tool when going through infertility. So, stay tuned. Hey guys, as we all know, there is so much lubricant out there, but rarely do you find one that is fertility friendly and made without paraffins. That's why I'm partnering with Fairhaven Health to talk about their Baby Dance Fertility Lubricant. Baby Dance is amazing, you guys. It has a pH of seven and mimics the consistency of your cervical mucus, which helps the sperm to swim through your cervix to meet the egg. So you can be sure that Baby Dance is safe to use when you are trying to conceive. Use the discount code MILLY15 for 15% off your purchase. Link in the show description. Smoochers and happy baby dancing. Jamie, it's happening. You're here. I'm so excited. This is my favorite topic to talk about, and you are the best person to unpack this subject. How are you doing? Millie, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be talking about this with you. You know, you were one of the first hilarious infertile accounts that I saw on Instagram. I love it. I mean, I you, were, Thank you. you were, you were dropping truth bombs after truth <laughs> bombs and they were just like speaking to my soul and also making me laugh. I am so glad to hear that because that is one of the biggest reasons I started my account. I just felt like there's a lot of funny things that happen within infertility that we can just miss because we are in it and in the thick of it and just thinking about how serious it is as a topic. But there's funny things that happen to us. And I just felt like I can't be alone in this and I have to share these. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, how are your, before we get into this topic, how are your COVID days and Corona nights going right now? Yeah, well, they're going pretty good. Um, some days it just feels like Groundhog Day, getting up, doing the same thing. I'm working from home, so I've now mastered the separate spare room turned into an office. Um, I've learned how to shut the door and shut the dogs out if I need to because they like to work <laughs> at anything and everything, and it always happens when I'm on a call. Yes. Yes. And tell us about your dogs. They're so cute. Yes. Thank you. Oh, there are babies. So we have um, two dogs. We actually have three at the moment, but um, our boys are Oakley and Deschler. They are both rescues from our local humane society. Uh, my husband and I are huge advocates for rescuing dogs that need a home. And I would have a lot more if I could. 
Um, but we right now do have a dog zoo. We also have my father-in-law's dog staying with us. Um, she is an older uh, 12-year-old German Shepherd mix, and she has now become a part of our family too. So we might be capped at dogs, but we have a special we place in our heart. <laughs> we might be capped, but we have a special place for rescue dogs. That's great. That's great. Um, well, let's start off with you telling folks a little bit about who you are, where you live, and what you do. Yeah. So I live in Columbus, Ohio with all of our dogs and my husband. Um, I have been here since I came down. I've born and raised in Ohio, came down to Columbus to go to college and just stayed. I just fell in love with Columbus. Uh, there's so many fun parts of the downtown and then also a lot of suburbs and a lot of things to do. Um, out, outside of infertility, um, on a day-to-day, -day, I enjoy riding my bike and listening to podcasts, uh, especially yours, Millie. Oh, man. You guys, I didn't even pay her to say that. She just no, came I out and said that. Straight up. That is accurate. That's accurate. I'm always listening on Mondays and riding my bike. Um, I do enjoy reading, walking the dogs, going to new parks, and then, of course, the occasional Netflixing. Um, and my I love it. Jamie and I are always, like, constantly talking to each other about our net next Netflix binges. We are. We are. I'll be like, okay, I saw you watch that, Millie. I'm going to start this. <laughs> And then we can regroup and chat. We ha You have to have somebody that you can just cross-check things with, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So, and what do you do? Yeah. So my day job, I'm in digital marketing, social media, and an insurance company. Wow. What does, what does an insurance company's um, social media account look like? So I have the fun part. I have our pet insurance. So I hope we have a strategy for pet insurance, which is exactly as you can imagine. I mean, it's not just cute, cute pets, but it's part of that. And that's, that's the best part. Oh man. I got to say, I, I definitely go on Instagram just to watch some cute pet videos. Guilty. I mean, it's really hard to avoid those. Um, Okay, that that's awesome. That's awesome. Give us a glimpse into your infertility story and bring us up to date on where you are in your journey. Yeah, definitely. So the funny part is I you remember all of it, but I don't remember key dates. So I got my paper here and I wrote down the key dates to remember. So much happens. Um <laughs> So my husband and I, we started trying for a family in June of 2017. And honestly, I wouldn't say it's like your typical, you know, we didn't start right away from marriage. It wasn't this picture perfect moment where we were at the dinner table and said, we want to expand our family. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like a lot of stories that I hear. We, I've met my husband in um, 2017. So we've been together for 13 years. I met him when I was 20. Um, we dated for about four or five years. We moved in. We dated for another year before we got engaged. We waited a year and a half to get married. And then we were married for about three years before we started trying to have a family. So it was just, you know, we took our time with everything and we had a house, we had two dogs, we felt established in our careers. And again, people say you never feel ready, but I always knew I wanted to be a mom. So I was ready. I was ready at any time. 
So we agreed and we started trying in June of 2017. Uh, Just again, like most other stories now at this part, we waited a full year of trying naturally. My OB did not seem concerned. She kept pushing me off, telling me, wait a year, it can take a year. So after a year, again, she kind of pushed me off and just gave me Clomid. She said, you know, you're young, you're fine, everything's okay. You can start taking this Clomid. Well, here I am, you know, not knowing a lot, not knowing anything about infertility, not knowing anything about Clomid or what might be wrong with us or what our diagnosis was. And so I held on to the Clomid and I didn't take it. I actually just advocated for myself, researched a specialist and then set up an appointment and went to that and told them, you know, I have Clomid, but I'm not sure, is that where we start? Do we need testing? Is it okay to just take this? So I didn't just listen to my OB. I waited, um, saw a specialist. So then when we started seeing that specialist the summer of 2018, we went through really all of your testing. So we had uh, blood work done. I had an HSG dye test. Um, My husband did sperm analysis, all of that. And between doing that, which kind of ran into the fall, winter of 2018, I did take Clomid. So I was on Clomid for five months, um, just doing, trying with medicated cycles. And then we did three more months of Clomid with three IUIs. So I did eight straight months of Clomid. I did oh, not think of- girl, eight straight months of Clomid. Yep. And you do <gasps> not realize how bad it is until you're off of it. Oh and I'll have to God. tell this story. You know this story, Millie, but this, the best story I have of Clomid when you ask like, how bad it is it or what happened? So we're in the, we're in the car, my husband and I, and I don't even remember. It's probably some stupid commercial. It wasn't even the, I don't know what it was. I just started crying, like really bawling. <laughs> and my husband <laughs> looks at me and he's like, what is wrong? What happened? What's going on? And I just looked at him and I said, Clomid. <laughs> that's all I had. That's it. And he said nothing else. We drove home in silence the rest of the way while I just cried. <laughs> Clomid is the devil. Did it give you hot flashes? It gave yes. me crazy hot flashes. Mm-hmm. I was I would wake up in the middle of the night and just be like pacing around my house like just trying to get some wind beneath my wings. Like I was so hot. I felt yes, like I was on, yes. on fire. Yes. And I remember, and not even really thinking a lot of it was tied to Clomid. I don't know why, you know, when you're, you're in the moment, I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. But I remember leaving work to walk to my car in the winter and not putting my coat on because I was like, Ooh, it feels so good out here. And yeah. I live in Ohio. And you're in Ohio. That's what I was mm-hmm. just going to say. Like it, it is cold in Ohio. Yep. Not when you're on Clomid. (laughs) Nope. Like I was ready to dive in and make snow angels (laughs) in the snow. (laughs) Oh, Clomid. I just like, yeah, like why even purchase a new winter jacket when all Mm -hmm. you need is Clomid? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So eight straight months of Clomid. What happened after that? Yeah. So after, after that and the three failed IUIs, my, we had a consultation with my doctor and he just said, you know, this, I really think it's time we go in for surgery. I think we need to do laparoscopy surgery and get in there and see what's going on. 
I don't think I'll find anything, but I just, you know, we haven't, we haven't been able to get you pregnant. I don't, I don't know what's going on. So we felt comfortable with that. And I had that surgery in July of 2019. Um, and to my doctor's surprise, he actually went in and found a lot of scar tissue um, around my tubes that were blocking my tubes. So just enough that he couldn't really see it on the the first dye test that we did almost a year previously, um, but enough that he figured that's that was probably our answer. So the interesting thing was he was mid-surgery and called my husband from the waiting room and he said, I can, while I'm in here, I can do my best to clear it out and we can see if it stays clear or I can go ahead and like tire tubes while I'm in here and then IVF is your only option. And my husband was like, oh, oh my goodness, we're not, we're not ready for that. Let's clear them out the best you can. Let's not worry, you know, worry about that. We'll, we'll, we weren't even really ready for the IVF talk just yet. Like we, it was lingering, but we hadn't really talked about it yet. Um, which I think was the right choice. So my doctor did the best that he could to, to, um, clear out my tubes and then we were sent home and we were instructed for the next three months to just try naturally because if they stayed open, that could have been our only problem. And we could, you know, fingers crossed, um, get pregnant naturally. And then if that didn't work, so by October, if we weren't pregnant, that we would go in for, and I would do another HSG dye test. So story continues, <laughs> didn't work. We weren't pregnant. Um, but I do have a funny story after the surgery. I asked my doctor, I said, okay, well, you want us to try naturally. Well, how, how soon after surgery can we start trying? Because in my mind, I didn't know what the recovery would look like. And my doctor said, well, I would prefer you wait until you get home off of the operating table. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So he had some, he had some dad jokes. I was like, okay, sounds good. Yep. All right. No problem. Nope. We can do that. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we, Again, we went back for that dye test um, in October because trying naturally hadn't worked, unfortunately. And the dye test did reveal that some of the scar tissue was coming back. So at that point, we had another consultation with my doctor. Everything is more appointments, more wait, more waiting, of course, as everybody knows. And so we found out the end of October that our best option would be IVF. Um, so we waited. We we had a vacation planned in November. So we went on that vacation. We talked about it. We, you know, we felt good about our decision that we were going to move forward with IVF. So in January, we started prep for our egg retrieval, had the egg retrieval in mid-March. Um, we came away, we came away with four embryos. We did not get them tested though. So, um, I do not know, you know, we, we moved forward with them just because my clinic hadn't recommended it. So we had four um, untested embryos. We did a fresh transfer that unfortunately failed. And then in June, uh, we had our first frozen transfer, which also unfortunately failed. Um, my nurse classified it as a chemical pregnancy, although I don't, I don't necessarily love using that term. I'm not sure why, but it was very, very, very early. They knew from the first beta that it was so low, but technically it was above the five that classified as a positive. So they had to tell me that, you know, it's a very, very low positive. It, it would be a miracle if your next beta came back. So I did know in the beginning that it was likely not, not going to be successful. So we had that in June and now here I am getting ready for our second, our third Second frozen embryo transfer, third transfer. Um, in, this week. This week on Thursday, this week. right? 
Yes. Wow. And so, Jamie, did they ever give you a diagnosis? No, they never. They didn't classify it as endometriosis. They just said that it is unknown scar tissue from likely some infection at some point in my life. They weren't even able to pinpoint if it was something recent or, you know, something that could have happened when I was younger. Got it. Got it. Well, and so let's go back to your IG account, which I told you was one of the um, the first accounts that I started to follow that actually made me laugh throughout this journey. Um, tell us why you started your Instagram handle and what it has done for you throughout the journey. Yeah. So I started my Instagram account after our third failed IUI. I had went on a girl's trip to Florida and had to pack my medication for my trigger shot, had to figure all of that out, had to have somebody give me my trigger shot and then come home early from the trip, miss part of the trip to do our IUI. And then I found out it failed and I just felt, you know, I had FOMO. I missed part of the trip. I was defeated. I was angry. I was sad. I was I was just like in a very low spot because I had felt like so lonely and I'd put so many things on hold or paused so many things because of this journey. And here we were with no answers, still not pregnant. And I, w- I was really just in a bad spot. And I had been journaling and I was journaling at my parents' house um, when we were visiting for Easter. And I realized you know, I'm not, what am I doing with this? I don't think I want to do a blog. I'm not necessarily, you know, I don't think I'm a writer. I don't, I'm not writing a novel. So I started breaking them into little small pieces and I realized, okay, a lot of them are kind of funny. Some are serious, but I, I naturally just found that that's how I was dealing with all of this was through humor. So I just started playing around and I said, maybe, maybe this is an Instagram account. And prior to all of that, I had not used social media at all to find comfort because I was afraid that going on social media and connecting with people and reading things would actually make me feel worse. I was afraid that it would make me more sad. And it was the opposite. So I I just started playing around and, and creating some content and created the account and had the support of my girlfriends. They said, you know, yes, do this. This is funny. They helped me with the the Instagram name and then started connecting. And really the purpose of the account for me was, at first it was to help others. I was saying, if I'm feeling this way, I can't be alone. You know, I learned infertility impacts at least one in eight couples. I'm not alone in some of these things that I'm thinking and feeling. So if I can just make one other person, you know, feel seen and heard, that's my goal. And little did I know that through creating that account, it helped me me more than I ever knew. I thought I would be helping others, and I'm sure I am, but in the long run, it really is what I needed. I needed that release. I needed to get out my thoughts and feelings, and just the support of the community that I even felt right away is undescribable. And even to this day now, I just can't even put into words the connections that I've made. And anytime somebody messages me that, thank you for saying this, or I feel the same way, I screenshot all of those and have a folder on my computer because I just love going back and looking at them. And the humor piece for me was just a a way that I thought 
again, that people could see, could feel seen and hurt because maybe they didn't want to talk about that kind of stuff. But, you know, as I started journaling, I was just thinking, there's a lot of funny things about this. I mean, we go through a lot of stuff and that's what I'm, I'm going to talk about. And I don't know if anybody has noticed, but I created the account and for about five months, um, I didn't have my identity tied to it. So I didn't have my name on it and I didn't share, uh, my identity. And that was really just because I didn't know what my husband was comfortable with at first. I wanted to make sure, you know, he was on board. If I put my identity out there, I knew that, and I think somebody else has talked about this, like double life that you feel like you're leading. You know, a lot of friends hadn't known yet. I didn't know how work would feel. And then I got to the point, um, in the fall that I was just like, I, I want this personal connection. Um, and everybody can share their, their journey, however they want to. But then that's when I decided to, um, come out. <laughs> I decided to come out and say, you know, this is, this is me. This is who this I is am. This is my face. This is my name. Exactly. exactly. So, so yeah, that's, that's really why I started it and where I started it. And gosh, I just, I even think I wish I would have started it sooner, but I'm so glad that I did. And I just love the connections that I've made, um, with people like you. Yeah. I mean, I just love, I am, I'm, Going back to a post that you made, which was, this community would bury a body for me. (laughs) It's so true. Like, I was not even expecting that when I I came out about my journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't expecting that along with revealing this information would come a massive group of friends who I've never met before, you know, I I was, I was even talking to my husband about it the other day. And I was like, Oh yeah, my, my friends on Instagram. And he was like, your friends. And I was like, yeah, they're not followers. They're my friends. Mm -hmm. Like I feel so, um, you you get to know people on such a deep level so quickly mm-hmm. when you start sharing this stuff, you know? It's like an unspoken sisterhood. I mean, you can just say, oh, we're going through infertility too, or we've had a miscarriage or a chemical pregnancy. And instantly somebody else who has gone through that, just they just know. It's just a feeling. And you don't even have to say anything else. It's just, I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. I know what you're going through. It's it's wild. I never thought that I never expected this either in a million years. And I do the same thing with my husband. I say, my Instagram friends, yes. <laughs> people you've never met in real life, you're cl- you know, can, can feel your pain more than some of your actual friends, like your friends and family in real life. It, it's yep. just a weird, yeah, it's a, it's a wild connection that I didn't, I never imagined either. I totally agree. And like the things I've told certain people, about my bodily fluids, you know, like it's just yeah, like I, we there's a bond there when you start talking about what's coming out of your vagina and what it looks like. We've shared some stuff. <laughs> I'm pretty sure when I got my first PIO bruise, I was like, "Hey, girl, uh, is this look normal? Here's a picture of my butt," and you're like, "Oh yeah, here's a picture of mine." Like, <laughs> no shame. I mean, 
No shame. No shame. No. It's just it's just part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in preparation for this interview, I wanted to bring to the table this study that happened in Israel. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, so in it, it was a small study um, that happened um, of about 219 women undergoing IVF. Um, Israeli researchers found the odds of success were greater among women who were entertained by a professional medical clown right mm-hmm. after they had the embryos implanted in the womb. Overall, 36% became pregnant versus 20% of women who'd had a comedy-free recovery after embryo implantation. And this was taken by Reuters Health by Amy Norton. Um, And it just goes on to show that, like, um, you know, the effects of laughter are can be a natural anti-stress mechanism. Yeah. And um and I thought that was so cool. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have to bring this up um with Jamie today." You know? Yeah, I I've, I've never heard that study before. I and love it. I know. It isn't it cool? It it just like makes my kind it makes me um it reminds me of your account because you said underneath your handle it says um laughter is the best medicine or laughter yeah. can't cure infertility but it's the best mm-hmm. medicine and i was like clearly it is <laughs> you know it's just like this whole process is so stressful when you go yep. through ivf you are stressed out you know mm-hmm. and um Anything to take a pin to the balloon of stress to just pop it. I was like, what can I do right now to just relieve myself of this pressure, you know, of this? I just felt so gripped in seriousness. Yeah, and I totally agree. And that's really part of the reason I think I turned to humor is because infertility is so freaking hard and it can just beat you down and it can, there's so much that you, that is serious about it, but I feel like you can't take it seriously all the time or you're just, I mean, you'll never make it. It, it's just way too, it's a heavy topic. And if you can just laugh at some of the things that happen to you or the stories or something your doctor said or something on Instagram or a TV show, I mean, it can just make you smile and really feel human again, because a lot of the parts of IVF can just, you know, strip you of even feeling like yourself. And when I can laugh at things, it just makes me feel a little bit more normal again. Yeah. There were times when I just felt like a lab lab rat, like just being poked and prodded and, you know, like things getting stuck up your hoo-ha, you know, it's just... Yep. You, you just feel like a an animal, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, any way to bring some levity, I think, in any way that you can do it, just do it. I remember asking my RE afterwards, I was like, I kind of gravitate to- towards the murder um, podcasts. And she was like, yeah, 
might want to put those on pause for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and she recommended comedy. She's like, listen okay. to some comedy. Listen to some comedy podcasts. Um, and that's where she mentioned the study that happened in Israel. So I was like, wow, there is something to this. There's got to be something to this. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I've gotten a small percentage of feedback from folks saying that I'm not taking this process seriously enough, which <laughs> kind of makes me laugh because I don't think I could take it more seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'd be walking around like a zombie or um, just like a stiff board. You know, yeah. if I took it yeah. any more seriously. Right. Have you ever been criticized for your lighthearted approach? Yes, I have. And I do think sometimes people don't realize I'm trying to be funny or make light of, of situations. I have to be careful sometimes the way I word things because I'm really trying to be sarcastic with something, but maybe it won't come across. And I used to take those comments to heart in the beginning and I you know, used to think I could please everybody. And I just learned along the way that I can't, that, you know, some of my posts aren't for everyone and my account may not be for everybody. And the beautiful thing with Instagram is people can pick and choose who they follow, or they can choose not to see or engage with my content. And, you know, that's honestly all that I can do is just leave it to other people to decide that they just are not going to interact with my content. And, you know, if there are the trolls out there who want to comment, I just have to, you know, I can respond if they want to have an actual conversation or I have to learn to leave it alone. Yeah, that's really all. And I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Because it, it it's your page, it's your content. Mm -hmm. And and you got to go back to the reason why you started it. You know, it was for you. Mm -hmm. It's not for to please someone else, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And there are times where I, you know, will be kind of drafting something and rework it a couple of times because I think, well, I don't want this to, I don't want people to think this or think this. And then I'm like, what am I doing? This is how I feel. And this is what I want to share. And the people that are like it are going to engage. And if they don't, they won't. And then sometimes on the opposite end, I share something that I'm like, well, this isn't, I might think, you know, this happened, I'm going to share it, but I don't think it's that great. And then people are, you know, loving it or laughing at it. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, this did resonate with others. So I try not to put myself in a box because, you know, I just have found no matter what it is, if I've thought it or said it or felt it or someone said it to me, there's always one other person out there that's in the same situation. Yep. Yep. Anything you wish you knew before starting all of this? Oh, yeah. Man, I'd tell myself, my younger self, <laughs> so much. Um, but I think there's a couple of things. I think the biggest thing is that I wish I knew everyone's journey is so different. And, you know, I can't read the statistics all the time. I can't read certain success stories and think that that's going to be my outcome. Um, you know, it's so hard sometimes within the community to try to compare, oh, this person got this many eggs and it led to this many embryos. It's everyone is so unique and so different. And I just wish I would have told myself that in the beginning because I think it, you know, caused me a little extra stress or, you know, just made me think that I was performing below because I wasn't seeing some of the similar results. Um, and then another thing I would tell myself too, I just wish I knew how long it could take. 
I was so naive and, you know, so excited for every new chance to start something new like Clomid or IUI or the surgery. And I wouldn't take any of that away because it's all led to a part of my story and it's all led us to now being able to do IVF. But, you know, I wish I just had some sort of notion of, you know, this is, this is going to take years and it can still take years. Um, but I know that's, you know, that's just the overall unknown with infertility is how long is it going to take and what is going to work sometimes is not, you know, there's no magic key or magic protocol. I think that's one of the things that made me personally go crazy is that you're on this road and you don't know how long you're going to be on it for, and you don't Mm -hmm. know where the end is, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that's what makes me and made me pretty crazy. You know, like I just wanted to have a crystal ball. That's all I wanted. Yes. Yeah. Just some indication of am I doing the right thing? And, you know, can you just tell me how long it's going to take? And this comment kind of, I think of this comment where people are like, well, we know it's going to work and we know you're going to be a mother. We know you're going to be parents. And that's really hard because I appreciate it so much because they know how much I want it. And I think there is a piece that my friends and family know will go to the ends of the earth to, to make this happen. But nobody can tell me that. Nobody can really tell me, you know, and maybe it's IVF doesn't work and we adopt or we, but nobody, you know, even adoption isn't guaranteed and nobody can tell us, you know, for certain that this is going to work or that anything is going to work. And that is just, you know, one of the hardest pieces with infertility is you don't, you don't know how long it's going to take and you don't know the outcome and you don't know what path is going to lead to a child for you or if it is at all. Yep. Yep. What makes your blood boil about infertility? Oh, I've got two. I've got two big ones, I think, the most. Are are they juicy? (laughs) Because if they're juicy, I want you to unleash the beast. Oh, let's see here. Well, besides besides any trolls we talk about, but um, one biggest thing, and this is really a selfish thing, but I think a lot of people feel this way too, is when people who haven't gone through infertility in any capacity try to downplay it or offer unsolicited advice. And I think anybody in this community will totally agree. And going through all of this has taught me so much about empathy and so much about unsolicited advice. And I have been totally guilty in the past, but this has made me so much more of an empathetic person and, you know, the ability to just listen and not try to solve. But I I really struggle nowadays with the, you know, the, the trying to downplay it or, you know, the try this or try that. And I don't get that so much anymore just because I think now, you know, my close friends and family know what we're going through. So it's not, obviously not that we were not doing it right or we weren't relaxing or going on vacation. People know that, you know, there's oh, man, actually- the vacation. I mean, right? like, I would go, I mean, if a vacation to the beach got me pregnant, man, I'd be at the beach every day. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, what did same, you say, Jamie? Same. So yeah. I don't get those anymore. <laughs> I luckily don't get those anymore. People know it's not just about, you know, about any of that. Um, 
but yeah, it's, and I don't like, you know, I struggle with the, with any part of like downplaying it. I mean, this is a serious condition and the downplaying it piece goes into my second, one of my second pet peeves, which is just insurance coverage and the lack thereof and the inconsistency from state to state, from company to company. I mean, we need universal coverage. This is a medical condition. Um, this is not a choice. I don't understand why certain things are covered. I don't understand why certain companies don't cover anything. Um, it blows my mind and it makes me it makes me angry and sad because I feel so blessed that my husband and I are able to go down this journey. We've paid a lot out of pocket um, and we've had some covered by insurance, but some people's journey stops because they just can't they can't go any further. And there should be there should never be a reason for that, in my opinion. If you have insurance, it should be covered in some way, in some capacity. And I, you know, really want to advocate and help try to see how we can change this because, you know, this is not it, it's not an option. This is a medical diagnosis, and there should be coverage. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. The thing that really ooh, makes my blood boil is when I see that it's an elective procedure mm-hmm. on on insurance claims. And I just, I, I mean, there's, there's nothing elective about it, you know, mm-hmm. like it makes it sound like I'm getting lip injections, you know, right. and no offense right. to anybody who has lip injections. I, I'm sure they look good, but I clearly I, do not. <laughs> <laughs> I might need them. I clearly do not have them. <laughs> so I'm not offended. <laughs> I just like, this is not a cosmetic procedure, you know, right. It's not, right. um, it's not a facelift. It's not, you know, and I just, um, it just, it hurts. It really hurts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to do any of this. I don't want to pay for any of this. I want to have a a child naturally and not even have to go through this. So, and a lot of the, the things that need to be pre-authorized prior authorization for things. What, what do you want? I, I don't want this either. Trust me. I don't want to charge (laughs) you for IVF because I don't even want to have to go through this. So I'm not sure what you need, but here's my last two years of eight months of Clomid, three IUI, surgery. It's just crazy. And um, the thing that really like threw me off the rails was when I discovered that people were having to pay for their miscarriages. I've heard that too. And I... That's insane to me. That's crazy oh, and breaks my heart. That is evil. I me think too. That's there should evil. not be any. There should be zero cost. I don't understand. I don't understand that at all. The pain, the pain of having a miscarriage, and then the pain of getting a big fat bill in the mail. Mm-hmm. Like what? I know. I don't oh, get it. I'll never My heart breaks that. whenever I hear that. I think I heard, uh, I've heard that on maybe even your podcast. Um, I guess was talking about that. Yeah. When I, when we talked about, when I talked with Lauren Rossi yes. about funding your fertility yes. journey, she got a really big bill in the mail. And I was just like, huh? I couldn't. Oh I know. my gosh. I, that's just so there's no other word for it than just like 
evil. Like that was the, just the mm-hmm. first word that came to my mind. Like I was thinking of this like Disney villain behind a computer, just like, <laughs> yes. I'm going to do this yes. to you. You know, like who, who thought that that was a good I, idea? I don't know. I, you know? I don't get it at all. And this, I think this is part of the reason I speak out too, is because I think we need more awareness. I think the community is doing a a great job. I've never seen more people talking about it on social media or in the news or in the media. And I, I feel so embraced, but I think we need more, more people in power and more people to understand this because who is, who's making up some of these rules and these law, the laws and bills and everything. We're, Where's this community, you know, that can be a part of that and speak up and say, no, somebody should not have to pay for that as part of, like, that should be covered. And there should be bereavement days in your work policy that cover that. There should be no questions asked about, you know, what type of family member. That should just be a part of it. I've heard some girls who don't have, you know, had to take their own sick time um, or could only take you know, bereavement, if it was a close family member, this is a close family member. I don't know how closer you're going to get. So I, there's got to be changes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, Jamie, how can people find you and follow you and connect with you? Yeah. So I'm just on Instagram and you can find me. um, My handle is infertile chronicles, all one word. Um, And that's, that's where it's been most of my time. I don't have a a blog or anything else. So you can just find, you can find all my content there and connect with me. Yeah. Have a few laughs and go to Jamie's account. It'll make you feel, oh, it'll make you feel better. It really will. All right, Jamie, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Millie. I'm so excited. Oh, you're the best. You're the best. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week.